Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, November 28, 2021. It focuses on Jesus' wisdom. The message to all who will listen is you can trust Jesus in every circumstance because he is wise and he will not lead you or his church into any situation which cannot be handled with his help. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thanks for sending Jesus to to rescue us. Thank you that you sent him to save us and not to condemn us, and that when we believe on you, we're rescued from the condemnation that was ours because we were, by nature, objects of your wrath. God, I pray that as we go to your word today that we would recognize you and understand who you are and learn how to live as followers of yours, living in the same, with the same character that you have because your spirit of God is in us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, months ago, my brother and I decided to try and figure out an electrical problem in my mom's house. The issue was with the basement light switches. The switch at the top of the stairs could turn the lights on and off and on and off and on and off as long as the one downstairs was in the down position. When you went downstairs and flipped the switch the other way, the one upstairs didn't work at all. Weird, right? That's electricity for you. So after a bit of snooping around, we discovered this mass of wires above the light fixture at the top of the stairs with a something or other meter. That's a technical term, I'm sure. We started puzzling out the which wire went where and what it was supposed to do. And My contribution to the project was to watch my brother with my thumb on the speed dial for 911 (laughs) and to flip off the breaker correctly. To make this part of the story shorter, we were unable to make things right. After sending sparks flying and breaking a circuit once, we put everything back the way it was originally and walked away. Probably the wisest thing we ever did. A brief time later, I was telling my neighbor about this odd situation, and my friend says to me, you know I'm a master electrician. I didn't know that about him. He said, I'd love to come over and take a look at what's going on. So a few days later, he was able to spare an hour or so, and so he followed me to my mom's house, and my contribution to this process was pretty much the same. Stand and watch. Occasionally, I held a tool for a few seconds. I flipped switches and ran up and down the stairs for him so he didn't have to do that. I did not contribute my expertise. I gave no suggestions, no solutions, nothing. In less time than my brother and I had spent disconnecting and reconnecting black and green and red and white, I don't know what colors of wires they were, this guy had the switches synced up. The upstairs switch worked no matter which way the downstairs switch was set and flip either the upstairs or downstairs switch and the light would come on and go off appropriately. Woo! Why was my neighbor able to solve this problem when my brother and I could not? He had more knowledge and training than we had and way more expertise in electrical circuits. In short, 
His wisdom exceeded ours. Wisdom. It shows itself in knowing when you've met your match and walking away before disaster strikes. It shows itself in letting an expert take over when you've come to the end of yourself and your abilities. It shows itself in applying vast knowledge expertly. In many, many situations, it shows itself in assigning me a mostly observational role. In other instances, instances which have nothing to do with electricity or structural integrity of a building or the use of sharp power tools, wisdom might dictate occasionally giving me a more active role. For several weeks now, we've been examining the second book of the New Testament. We've taken a look at each chapter of Mark in succession and focused on Jesus' character. That's what we're looking at as we go through the book of Mark, as it's revealed in the narrative flow of this book. In Mark chapter 1, we saw Jesus' holiness and compassion as he dealt with people oppressed by spirits and suffering from diseases. In the next chapter, chapter 2, we observed his forgiving nature. You remember, he took care of the paralyzed man's sin problem before addressing his physical malady. When chapter 3 was before us, we saw Jesus' goodness and his fearlessness, knowing the religious leaders would hate him for healing on the Sabbath. He still did the right thing, taking the crooked things and making them straight. In chapter 4, Jesus was generous with the truth giving it out to even those who would reject him. That was the point of the parable of the sower that we read that week. Last week in chapter 5, we acknowledged Jesus' authority over all things. Our Savior demonstrated his power over the natural realm, the spiritual realm of darkness, sickness, and even over death itself. Or maybe we should say his authority is over life. This week, we're going to take a look at Mark chapter 6, and I think we'll see wisdom rise to the surface as we look at Jesus. In this chapter, he handles a variety of situations with the confidence that wisdom brings. So I've asked my wife to read Mark chapter 6 for us today, and as I have every week since we began looking at Mark's gospel, I want to remind you to listen to the Spirit as the Scripture is being read because the things that I bring out may not be the things that God wants to say to you. You may need to have a completely different message. So pay attention, hear God's word to you, and then after the reading of this chapter, then I will come up and share some of the things that I felt like God was leading me to share this morning. So Mark 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house as a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. 
Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed he is a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John the man I beheaded has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girls hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her, so he immediately sent an executioner with the orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Then Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wage. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. 
taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth hour of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. The first story in this chapter is so weird to me. The people in Jesus' hometown respond to him in a really strange way, don't they? They listen to him as he's speaking in the synagogue, and they respond in wildly different ways. Some are amazed at his teaching. These acknowledge his wisdom. Others, the majority of the folks, it seems, they're offended by him. They wonder where he gets off telling them how things are. If someone speaks with authority, don't you want to hear it? It seems irrelevant that the guy speaking is the hometown kid. If he's wise, you lend your ears. Now, having read both misreading scripture through Western eyes and misreading scripture through individualist eyes, highly recommend the books. I suspect that there's some kind of cultural thing that's going on here that we don't get because we live in a different day and age. The social rules of Jesus' day are not something that I would claim to be an expert in, and what I do understand comes from the hard work and research of others. I won't pretend, therefore, to know why in the world these folks heard Jesus and took offense. I can only reflect on how Jesus handles the situation. He speaks the truth, noting their disrespect, and then wisely does what he can despite his detractors' less than warm reception. Some had faith. He healed them. Some were offended. He left them. Thinking back to the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, I see the generosity of Jesus at work here again. He offers the word freely to all, and some accept it, some don't. Those who believe get what they came for. Those who lack faith receive nothing. Jesus doesn't force the issue. He speaks and lets the chips fall where they will. 
I seem to remember a saying of Jesus we talked about as we made our way through Matthew this year. This nugget of wisdom that I'm talking about is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It seems that Jesus is living out this principle in his hometown. He's giving generously to those who love his word and have faith in him, and he's walking away from those who don't want to have anything to do with him or his word. That, my friends, is wisdom. May you and I exercise such prudence in our own lives. Let's rejoice more when people see Jesus in us and trust him. Let's freak out less when we and our message are rejected and ridiculed or ignored. Let's move on to the next story, the one where Jesus sends out his followers into the world with a message. Jesus knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that these 12 men, or all of them except for Judas, that these 12 men are going to change the course of history. They're going to be the first leaders of the church. Thousands of people are going to come to faith in Jesus through these guys when they're filled with the Spirit and they start witnessing to the things that they've seen and heard. People are going to believe. That's the future that Jesus sees. It's not what we're witnessing here. What we're seeing here is the first training mission, so to speak. Jesus wisely sends them out in twos because what happens when you're all by yourself? You get nervous and scared and you back out and you run and hide and some of them might not have come back had they been sent out. But together with another, they accomplish what they were sent to do. And I think that's wise, going out together to do God's work. We know that they did what they were sent out to do, that is to preach repentance and to drive out demons and to heal the sick because in verse 30, we have this. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. All 12 came back and they had stories to tell. They all did things. They taught things. That's what they were sent out to do. And so we shout, "Woo! they got it right for once. <laughs> we get it right once in a while too. Jesus' wisdom is proven in their success. They were sent out with God's blessing and guidance. They met with the same mixed results that Jesus did. Some listened and some didn't. What mattered was spreading the word and advancing the kingdom, and the Jesus doesn't came back with more trust in him. They were more ready to follow him, more ready to lead in the future. Here's something that you and I need to realize. Jesus does not foolishly give us things to do. He assigns what he knows we can handle with his help, the Spirit doing his work in and through us as we go together into the world. Do you trust God's wisdom enough to do what he gives you to do, even when it seems that he's leading you into things that overwhelm you? I mean, you're not sure you can handle it on your own or in a group. Do you believe in that moment that God is wise and he's giving you something that you can do with his help? If you don't trust in this kind of situation, could it be that you're looking only at your own abilities, your own practiced skills, your own expertise, your own knowledge, rather than looking at God's infinite power and his infinite wisdom? Could it be that you're 
asking, can I do this instead of can God? Let the Spirit speak to you. Don't hurry away from this question. God may want to say something to you about what he's calling you to. So keep thinking on that as we move on to a story of the feeding of the 5,000. In this narrative, Jesus wisely puts his disciples in an impossible situation so that they will learn to trust him when things are difficult, when things don't make sense to their own little puny human brains, when failure seems likely to be the outcome. So let's think about this miracle. What do you think? Can you feed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish? You know you can't. It's not possible. Even if the loaves are really big loaves of bread, only the first couple hundred people are going to get a little bite to eat, right? And maybe if it was a, like a big, huge honking tuna out of the sea, maybe you might be able to feed a few hundred more with a little bite of fish, a little sushi. But we know from the other Gospels that the fish are described as small fish. So we don't have tuna here. We don't have big loaves of bread. doesn't matter. You can't feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Step back with me then. After his followers have suggested sending the hungry people away, what are his first words? Verse 37, he says, you give them something to eat. Now, I'm not 100% sure but I suspect that he puts the ball in their court so that they'll have to freely admit the truth. It's not within their power to do it. When a person is willing to acknowledge their limitations, they're on the right place to allow God to work his wonders. God's resources are always enough. We put our faith in him because he can do, as the scripture says, immeasurably more than we would ever dare to ask or even imagine. Let me take you over to John's account of this story for just a second. It's in John chapter 6, conveniently. So we got two chapter 6s here. In John chapter 6, Jesus puts the ball in Philip's court. Our master's words are slightly different, framed as a question rather than as you do it statement. And he speaks to just one disciple, but the effect is the same. So after John gives us Jesus' question in verse 5, he offers this aside in verse 6. Jesus asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. When you come up against a chaotic, wildly terrifying, way-over-your-head circumstance, you must realize this thing is not chaotic, wildly terrifying, or over God's head. He has already got in mind what he's going to do, and you can trust him to do it. The prayer of one of Israel's kings when the people were facing an enemy's siege works in so many situations. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is what trust sounds like. When God has put the ball in your court and you know that you can't make the right thing happen. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
Jesus wisely puts his disciples in this place of dependence in front of a hungry crowd. They wisely turn the outcome over to Jesus because they can't feed 10 people with what they've got. And Jesus comes through. Jesus is wise. He shows it in how he puts us in difficult spots which cause us to cry out to him. He shows it in how he brings glory to himself and to his and our Father in heaven through trusting obedience. What seemingly impossible thing has God called you to? What crazy task has he given our church? Will you trust him? Will we? As we close this morning, let's pray together for wisdom to follow, wisdom to obey, wisdom to trust our wise leader rather than ourselves. Let's ask him to lead us wisely. And let's choose together to follow wisely. Let's take a few moments in silence to turn all this wildly terrifying stuff that runs around in our head, all that stuff over to God, the only one who can handle everything that comes our way without batting an eye. God, sometimes I look at myself and think I've got to solve problems that are really your-sized problems. I stew and fret and try to figure them out, and you're just calling me to trust you and ask you for help. God, I don't know what struggles each person here faces. I know some of them, but God, you know all of them, and you are more than able to meet our needs according to your glorious riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. So God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. You promise in your word that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask, and that you will give without finding fault. So God, guide us throughout this week. Give us wisdom for each situation. Help us to trust you for your solution to each situation we find ourselves in. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that you have given us through him. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go, I want to offer up these words from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 to 36 in praise to our God. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.